We'd like to warn our listeners that this episode deals with topics of abuse, addiction, and death. Hello and welcome to your spiritual awakening. We're here to teach you the word of Godney and all about the legendary Miss Britney Spears. You're listening to episode four, How Was I Supposed to Know? Hello everyone, we are back. We are back and we're better than ever. Yep. That doesn't sound very confident. We are so excited to be back on here for episode four. How was I supposed to know? So the Britney question of the week is what is your favorite song from Baby One More Time? Can Can you pull up the track list? Yes, I can. Okay, thank you. Baby One More Time is a great song, though. That was the song of my childhood. But you can't pick Baby One More Time. I can't? That's the rule. Sorry. I have memories from my first grade birthday party with that song. Well, it's too bad. That can okay, be, okay, okay, okay. That can be your favorite, but it can't be the answer to this question. Okay, okay, let, let me see. Crazy, Sometimes, Born to Make You Happy, I Will Be There. Email my, my heart. heart. Autumn goodbye. I like that one. That Autumn goodbye. So cute. My favorite is probably. <sighs> Ugh. Okay, it's really hard. I want to say crazy because I love crazy. That's a good one. But I also want to say born to make you happy. And I will be there because I love both those songs too. I. Love, I will be there. So, no, I'm gonna say crazy. Yeah, I'm gonna say crazy. Crazy, Crazy, it's crazy. It's crazy good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, let me just explain the title of the episode. We're gonna jump right into it. Obviously, this is a lyric from Baby One More Time. But I think it pretty accurately depicts Lynn's entire attitude in regard to her daughter's career, eventual issues in 2007, and now the conservatorship. How was she supposed to know that something isn't right here? Exactly. (laughs) Are we being harsh? I don't think so. I mean, look at Britney's situation. Oh, it gets so much worse. I, I told people who are asking me about this episode or who said they were feeling a little depressed from hearing about how horrible Britney's childhood was, I told them, you know what? I think the next episode might be a little more light, might be a little more fun. I was wrong. (laughs) How was I supposed to know? Oh my God. (laughs) That's just the theme today. How was I supposed to know that things were going to take a turn for the worse? I truly thought that this was... The one year of Britney's life, one year or so of Britney's life that was good for her, that didn't have these horrible things happening. All right, so before I get started on the stuff from the Baby One More Time era, I want to go back in time and clarify some things. I have a feeling this is going to become a regular thing. You know, of course, I try to do my best regarding research. It's not always enough. And sometimes shit just comes up that I missed, especially when I only have a week or so to do all this research. And there's just so many 
sources and they're all over the place because the internet wasn't a huge thing back then, right? We're talking 1990, 1995. Let's talk really quickly about Heart to Heart, which is a book that Lynn and Brittany wrote together and published in 2000. In the book, she talks about how she remembers telling Lynn to, quote, hold a tape recorder and let me sing into it, end quote. And Dennis points out that this is incongruent with what Lynn claims had happened in her memoir, which is that she had mailed Larry a tape of Brittany singing at a wedding. So I just thought that these differences, although they're they're small and they, it kind of seems like they might not matter, it's interesting to think about how Lynn She's just an unreliable narrator. Whether that's on purpose or whether she's trying to hide something, just know that her entire memoir, like I keep saying, take it with a grain of salt. Who knows? It's all from her perspective. She wants to portray herself and her family in a certain way. Obviously, Brittany could also be trying to portray herself in a certain way through this book, Heart to Heart. But at the same time, I think the difference is Lynn is writing through the storm to defend herself. At the beginning of the book, she basically admitted that this whole book, the point of it was to defend herself and her decisions, while Brittany wrote heart to heart as like a silly, cute little thing to promote her image as a Southern mama's girl. We left off with Brittany's Baby One More Time single being recorded. They were gearing up to release it, and we still haven't talked about the video, so... Let's talk about the iconic Baby One More Time video. It was filmed on the first floor and in a science classroom of Venice High School, where I'm pretty sure Greece was filmed. Don't quote me on that. Dennis in Inside the Dream writes that Brittany was, quote, about to be transformed from Mouseketeer into a highly marketable hybrid of sweet cheerleader and naughty St. Trinian schoolgirl, end quote. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. He also calls her a, quote, commercial living doll, end quote. And that, quote, the music industry ripped away the conservative church dresses, floral prints, and pretty bows in the hair and replaced them with a white blouse knotted at the midriff and unbuttoned at the chest to reveal a black sports bra. When completed with a gray school skirt, plated pigtails, and knee highs, she was portrayed as the innocent provocateur, end quote. I really hate that metaphor, ripped off the church dresses. Yeah, that's pretty... so, like, gross. Like, creepy. It's kind of violent, in a way. Mm Mm-hmm. It implies that this wasn't her choice, right? That somebody ripped this away from her. Now, I'm not saying it was her choice, but... You know, there's more nuance to this situation than I think a lot of people realize. Now, it's quite possible that Brittany filmed the movie in a school because she was 16 at the time. Like, she was in high school, so she wasn't trying to be a naughty schoolgirl. She was just trying to relate to her audience, which she, which is something that we know she learned during her time at the Mickey Mouse Club. Is it possible she tied her shirt and not the music industry because she wanted to be more fashionable? She wanted to look cute? Why does exposed midriff automatically equal sexy? She's a dancer. She's used to showing off her lines through exposed skin. I mean, Brittany herself has said in interviews that that was her idea and 
we'll talk about that later. I mean, obviously it could also be true that she was pressured that the director, her managers, or both thought that she should be sexy for this video, but the story around this video and the accounts from people who were there tell a different story. So Nigel, J Nigel Dick shot the video and it was filmed August 1998, so a few months before the song was released. Nigel remembers that, quote, whilst everything was being set up, well, he's actually British, so... Can I read it? Yeah. Whilst everything was being set up, I remember her sitting around with the other dancers as an equal. No one knew who she was, she just blended in. I look back now and wonder if she remembers how that even felt to blend in with everyone else. Bravo. I think that was, like, kind I of Australian or something. <laughs> anyway. So sorry to everybody from Australia and the UK. He also describes Britney as, quote, easygoing without a hint of arrogance, end quote. So his original idea was a cartoon in, like, a Power Ranger-esque setting, but Britney didn't like it and pitched to him what I think is a much better idea, Quote, we're all in school and bored out of our minds, so I thought it would be really cool, end quote. And yeah, that is probably one of the most Britney-esque quotes I've ever heard. Nigel backs this up, quote, Britney hated my idea and Jive hated it, so they rang me and passed the phone to Britney. She said, let's do a video where I'm a girl in school looking at lots of hot boys, end quote. He also argues that the video was not meant to be sexy or raunchy, that everybody just took it out of context. Choreographer Miles Thorogood from the Mickey Mouse Club also offers evidence backing up the claim that Britney herself thought of the video concept. For the MMC, he had choreographed a number with dancing girls in Catholic school uniforms. Of course, this was the Mickey Mouse Club, so they wore a tie and tights. It was way more professional than the Baby One More Time video, but it was a similar concept. Britney was in these numbers, and Miles is certain that she advocated for herself and took inspiration from his number. So clearly, if you've seen the video, Britney is wearing outfits that are very 90s. She looks very authentic, and make no mistake, this is all part of her branding. It's all meant to catch the eye of schoolgirls all around the country, Designed to make them say, hey, that's me, because it's it's relatable, right? So was this meant to be super sexy, or was it meant to be relatable? Maybe a little bit of both. I don't know. Something to think about. And I am sick of all these fucking think pieces saying that Britney didn't want to be sexy, that her authority was ripped away from her, that she was pressured to do all this stuff. When Britney herself tells a different story, specifically for this video. Now, this video is pretty tame. I mean, come on, is it, is it sexy? I don't really think. Not particularly. It's no Nicki Minaj. No, it's Anaconda. Like, so what? She has her shirt tied, so she's. So it's automatically like sexual. I don't think I so. Don't know. I guess maybe for 1998. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. That's true. It was a different time. And I guess because of her age, people might might have thought it was too sexual. Yeah, but for me, her age is what makes it not sexual. Yeah. And it's not. It's not. It's, it's not even sexual. It's not. Her Baby One More Time era is very not sexual. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about that as well later on in the episode. 
So this is cute. Before release, Britney told a Daily Mirror interviewer in 2000 that, quote, every night I had a Bible book that I prayed in and every night I would pray, I hope my song plays on a certain radio station that's really big and it would happen. Then I'd be like, I hope this video is wonderful. And it was. Then I was like, I hope they play it on MTV. And they did. I am totally blessed. End quote. Manifestation queen. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. (laughs) So let's move on to the single and album rollout. When Britney first heard the song on the radio, she had just flown into Louisiana and was driving home when it started playing on 104.1 New Orleans. New Orleans. Sorry. Quote, I let out such a scream, end quote, is what she said about hearing her song for the first time. The song debuted at number 17 on the Billboard Hot 100, and the video was constantly playing on MTV Total Request Live, TRL. So that was the, like, their video player, I guess. Britney was then chosen to be the opening act for NSYNC for their American tour. So she was reunited with JC and, of course, JT. Okay, I'm going to say JC and Justin because JT and JC. Who's JC? JC was um, in the MMC with her. Oh, right. Yeah. So at this point, she was turning 17 in a month. She was extremely young and very nervous. People booed her at first, but then eventually they sort of accepted her performance. They booed her? Yeah, they booed her. That's so mean. Yes, it's mean, but I have an anecdote. Oh, no. So I remember when I went to one of two concerts that I've ever been to, Lana Del Rey in high school, the opening act was Grimes. Now, at this point, she was extremely niche. She still is, but now she's married to Elon, and I guess she must be more... I don't know if she's more popular, but she's more well-known. But back then, we were all like, who the fuck is this? Everyone that I went with... Everyone around us, we were all like, who the fuck is this? The crowd was totally dead. Silent. Nothing. Super awkward. It also didn't help that no one there seemed to actually be enjoying the music, right? So uh, people were literally covering their ears. Oh my god. (laughs) It was that bad. Sorry to all the Grimes fans. Maybe she's better now, but back then it was kind of a shit show. She's not better now. She married Elon Musk. Right. Anyway. 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 Let's not talk about that. (laughs) So, back to Britney. Sunglass Hut gave away a free CD with every $80 purchase, and of course she began receiving more details, which exponentially expanded her wealth. Baby One More Time reached number 8 in December, and when the album was released, it pushed it to number 1. So both the album and song were number 1 on the Billboard Hot 100, which, according to Dennis, had never before been accomplished. In 2020, Rolling Stone named Baby One More Time the greatest debut single of all time, beating out artists like Elvis Presley and Led Zeppelin for the top spot in a list of 100 songs. They describe it as, quote, an apocalyptic thunderclap of a song with Max Martin's mega boom production, end quote. Of course, the song sparked many copycats, I'm looking at you, Jessica Simpson, and Mandy Moore, and is attributed as the song that brought back bubblegum pop. It truly was the beginning of an era and marked a huge cultural shift. Lynn remembers the debut of Baby One More Time in her book and talks about how, quote, sometimes all you can do is stand there. 
dazed and try to make sense of the new reality you must take in, end quote. So she doesn't sound too happy about the album debuting at number one. Maybe this is just her looking back on it and thinking that. I feel like she was probably happier at the time. So Britney had just turned 17 the month before the album was released, which was January 1999. And Lynn stayed home with Jamie Lynn while Britney and Felicia traveled all around the world. So it sort of seems as though Lynn stopped being a full-time mom to Britney around this point. She makes a conscious decision to allow her daughter to go on the road all over the world as a brand new pop star without her. Now, is this naive or is it careless? I think it's a bit of both. Of course, I would also trust Fee with my hypothetical child. All Britney fans know that Fee is an amazing woman and she was a great companion to Britney for many years, probably decades. But wouldn't you want to be there for your daughter, not only for the excitement and the fantastic experiences, but also just to protect her? So Baby One More Time went on to become the best-selling single in the UK of the year. It was nominated for a Grammy. It won Best Signal. It won Best Single at the TCAs and won several MTV Europe Awards. Though, surprisingly, Britney did not win an MTV award in the States until 2008. Britney, in her first year, won four BBMAs, including Female Artist of the Year. So, in her award speeches, she thanked, quote, Jesus Christ and my family and just the whole world for accepting pop again, end quote. Like I said, she brought pop back. The single sold 4 million copies and the album sold 25 million, probably more than that at this point. She was selling a dream. She became that girl who made it from literally nowhere. Literally nowhere. At such a young age with no connections and no money. Of course, others before her had done this, but she was just so young. It's inspiring. Now, of course, her life changes at this point extremely quickly. I mean, to go from being an understudy on an off-Broadway show to having 40 interviews in a single day is just insane. She was an overnight sensation, inspiring headlines such as the LA Times. Spears rapidly ascends as new pop powerhouse. Despite the intensity, she, quote, handled herself like a pro, end quote. Along with Baby One More Time, Sometimes You Drive Me Crazy, Born to Make You Happy, and From the Bottom of My Broken Heart were released as singles and all had accompanying videos. If you're a Britney fan, you know that she has issues with her knee and they followed her throughout her entire career. When she was rehearsing for the Sometimes video, she sustained a knee injury, which she described as, quote, God's way of telling her to take a break, end quote. Now, I don't like this because... It's the very beginning of her career. It's her second video, I think, and she's already talking about how she needs a break. She needs a break so badly she thinks that God has gifted her one in the form of a knee injury. Another cute story, when her knee was injured, she asked her driver to take her to a fast food restaurant called Jack in the Box, which we don't have here in Canada, in her wheelchair, and then immediately to Cartier to try on an $80,000 ring. Very Britney. She says that no one recognized her because she hadn't showered in days and was wearing her house slippers. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, to everybody who thinks that Britney has gone crazy just by watching her Instagram videos, yeah, she's been like that for a while. Ever since the beginning of her career, I think that's just who she is. She's a little kooky. Nothing wrong with that. Alright, let's talk about how Lynn handled this newfound fame, because we know she's really great at handling things. So she invited fans into her home for sweet tea. Now, I love sweet tea, but what? she just invited random strangers into her home. That's crazy. Eventually, they realized that not every fan of their daughter was, quote, well-intentioned, end quote. I think this is interesting wording. If a fan does not carry goodwill, does that make them a fan or simply someone obsessed with a celebrity, like a stalker, right? Well, you mean, I mean, like, in K-pop, they call, like, the crazy stalkers fans, but just, like, a different kind of fan. Right. But they're all, they're all called fans, which is really weird. Right, I mean, you usually fan has a positive connotation. So one instance, a man was pounding at the door, yelling to be let inside. Lynn says she, quote, grabbed Jamie Lynn, my cordless phone, and a gun, and we locked ourselves in the bathroom, end quote. Fortunately, the police came, everybody was okay, but that's when they hired the bodyguard known as Big Rob, who was, quote, with Brittany every waking moment, and he often came to Kentwood and stayed with us, end quote. He once saved Brittany from a man with box cutters, and I'm sure a lot more. So, very cool. Well, yes, very cool. Now, Lynn, at this point, was still in Kentwood. She writes, quote, There is no place on earth I'd rather be than Kentwood, end quote. Haha. <laughs> okay. Right. Same. She talks about how this is starting to affect her, right? People are starting to gossip. The media is starting to talk about everything, about their family. Quote, it seems to me that individuality is lost when you are just one of the masses. And worse, spirituality can get lost too, end quote. So she's turning towards her spirituality to help her with this, right? But it kind of seems like she's saying that Brittany lost a bit of her spirituality, whatever you want to call it, when she made the move to L.A., her friends would call Lynn if they saw something unflattering about the Spears family and the tabloids and they'll all vent to each other and have like this gossiping session to try and figure out how to help. Now ladies, I'm not sure there's much you can do all the way from Kentwood <laughs> about like TMZ, but okay. It's sweet. As I said, Lynn was not so much involved in the very beginning of Britney's career. But Britney eventually went, went on tour to promote Baby One More Time. So there were two legs of the tour. There was the Baby One More Time tour, and then the second leg was called the Crazy 2K tour, but it was basically just an extension of the Baby One More Time tour, even though it was super different from the initial leg. So in her memoir, Lynn talks about what I'm pretty sure is the Crazy 2K tour just because of Britney's age. Quote, I'm telling you, this all became a huge business before we knew what hit us. I was so glad I wasn't ever one of Britney's managers. Of course, I wish now I had trusted the professionals a little less and given myself more credit for my own instincts. End quote. 
There she goes again, shifting blame, but also throwing herself under the bus in a sort of pity party. She wants to admit wrong just enough so that you believe her sincerity, but also so that you pity her and sympathize with her rather than criticize her for her failures as a parent. I'm not talking about her failures at the beginning of the career because who the hell, especially if you're from Kentwood, is ready for that roller coaster fast track into worldwide stardom. I'm more so talking about her general parenting, especially for the past 15 or so years. Larry and Brittany tried to convince Lynn to quit teaching and go travel with her. Read, Brittany needs her mother with her on this exciting yet totally terrifying journey because she's fucking 18. I mean, she's still, she's legally an adult, but she's still a kid. And Lynn was, quote, terribly torn, end quote. She didn't want to leave her normal life behind, and although Larry told her that she could make more money running Britney's fan club, okay, than she ever did teaching full-time, she claims the money is not what swayed her. She eventually agreed because she, quote, thought that I could keep an eye on things and be with Britney much more. She was only 18 years old, and she still needed my guidance and influence, end quote. What do we think? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, okay, that's fine. Let me know. just move on. Either she's in it for the money or she did it for Britney. I don't know. How was I supposed to know? <laughs> the first time she saw her daughter on stage, Lynn, quote, watched in awe, end quote, and cried when it was over from happiness and relief that her daughter had made it after years of practice and investment. But, she asks, at what cost? At what cost? Foreshadowing. Now, let's talk about the infamous Rolling Stone cover. I'm sure you all know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't, you're living under a fucking I rock. I don't know what you're talking about. Really? You've seen it. If okay, you don't well, know I'm what I'm talking forget. about, you've, you've seen it. This one. Oh. You've never seen this? Yeah, I've seen it. Oh, okay. Everyone's seen it. It's... Yeah. It's very infamous. Hmm. Oh, dear. The cover was released a few months after the album debuted. Lynn recalls the experience. Apparently, quote, The first time I felt my anchor was slipping, that my authority as a mother was really undermined, was Britney's first Rolling Stone cover in April 1999, end quote. Lynn says that she trusted the professionals to make the right decisions and that Rolling Stone had sent a crew over to her house to shoot a cover story about Britney. She mentions that Britney's knee was throbbing by the second day. Again, these knee issues coming up. It's a theme throughout her entire career. Lynn claims that for the infamous cover photo, the room was so packed with equipment that they were unable to be in there with Britney that only Larry could, quote, steal a look here and there, end quote. And at one point, Larry told the photographer, quote, that's enough, end quote, in an unhappy tone. So set the scene. They've taken tons of pictures. They're all very cute, very nice, kind of weird. But then they go into our room, close the door, and start taking the pictures that would eventually become the cover photo. Larry is kind of looking in. He's like, yeah, that's all right. And then eventually he's like, no, that's enough. Did this actually happen? I don't know. 
I don't know, because Larry, well... If Larry did not like her looking sexy, why did he okay the 2000s VMAs? Perhaps Britney really wanted to do that one. I mean, I totally believe it. We know that she likes fashion, and the current fashion at the time was... Okay, I, I don't want to say she likes fashion, but she likes to have style. Mm -hmm. And the current style at the time was to, you know, have bare midriffs. However, Britney has said herself in multiple interviews that she feels uncomfortable being sexy in music videos now that she's a mom. So this is later on in her career. Yet her management clearly forces her to be provocative anyways. And that would be Larry. So what the fuck, Larry? Or... Lynn, I guess. Lynn, you're a liar. Allegedly. <laughs> so Lynn, at this point, bursts into the room. She sees her daughter in a bra and hot pants sitting on her bed. And what? Hot pants. That was hot pants. It's like, like really pants? short, short shorts. Like hot pants. Oh, they look like underwear. Yeah, what that's what hot pants are. Oh. So she sees her in these hot pants <laughs> sitting on her bed and she demands that they stop. Jamie is pissed. He starts yelling, this is stupid, and then runs out the door. <laughs> Lynn actually believed that the magazine would approach them and ask them which shots they could use. Larry told Lynn that, quote, no one was offered editorial approval, not even him. And since he was also new at this managing business, he didn't realize what would happen either, end quote. So she's 17 here. It's not crazy to believe, again, that she would want to have looked sexy. I mean, I'm not going to comment on my own experience, but just in general, I can tell you that as a former 17-year-old girl, many teenagers do want to be sexy. Now, does that make this shoot okay? In my opinion, this is a step further than the Baby One More Time video. It's crossed a line. She's 17 here. She's a minor. The suggestive nature of the picture is just too much. She may have wanted that picture, and that's okay that she wants that picture, but that doesn't mean that the adults responsible should have printed it. Mm -hmm. They knew what they were doing. They were selling sex, but teenage girl sex. That's pretty gross. The teenage girl inside me loves the photo because she doesn't understand the predatory context and implications of the situation. To her, it's Britney owning her sexuality, being totally gorgeous, absolutely killing it. However, the responsible adult in me is like, that's totally uncool. It's the beginning of a nasty, innocent, sexy blend that is projected onto her in her early career. And ultimately, I'm obviously an adult now, or I'd like to think that I am, and I totally actually agree with Lynn on this one. It's hard because the photo is undeniably iconic, and it's just, it's a fantastic photo. But the context and her age just completely ruin it for me. Mm-hmm. So Lynn says that she was angry and embarrassed when she saw the photo, but admits in the next paragraph that, quote, despite that magazine cover, or maybe because of it, Britney's career exploded, end quote. And it's true. This cover launched her into stardom. I mean, of course, everything before that, the video, the single, but this cover is what started the media circus around her for better or for worse i think for worse now let's talk about dennis's version of events he describes the photo which maybe i should have done before but she's in her childhood bedroom she's lying on a purple satin sheet she's got a telephone to her ear and a purple tell tubby tinky winky under her arm 
Dennis then agrees with Rolling Stone's assessment of the title, Baby One More Time, how it alludes to spanking. What? Funny story. In a nutshell, no, it did not. According to the writers, Max Martin and some other Swedish dude, they thought hit me meant hit me up. So it's basically a bad translation and not a sexual illusion. Even I knew that. That it wasn't what hit me baby was supposed to mean. Yeah. I think everybody knows that except for stupid Steve Dennis. That was mean. He's not stupid. He just likes controversy. I think. After this cover, she began to be labeled as things such as Louisiana's Lolita and Vampish Seductress. Vampish. Like a vampire? I don't know. Let me check. I don't really think she looks like a vampire. Oh, no, it's not a vampire. It has nothing to do with vampires. I wish it did. Yeah. Imagine a vampire era. That'd be great. People began to be pissed at Britney, like really mad at her, especially in regard to her newfound status as a role model. For instance, Tom Connolly, the spokesman for the Scottish Catholic Church, argued that, quote, people like Britney should not be allowed to be people's role models, end quote. The University of Iowa took a better approach, arguing instead that she was being taken advantage of and that children under 18 should not be sexualized. Dennis also writes that, quote, No one knew exactly what ground Brittany occupied. Did she represent the church or sex? End quote. How about neither? How about neither? Why do you have to represent the church or sex? According to the Center for Parent Youth Understanding in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania, quote, her verbalized commitment to God doesn't mesh with the sexual messages of her visual image, end quote. Right, but people are not one-dimensional. Leaving Brittany out of this conversation, can one not be sexual and also be religious? Why do we have to be confined to such a strict way of life? If I want to be a model, can I not be religious as well? Because what about modesty? What about modesty? Times are changing. Get with it, people. But also she was young. She was very young. So I understand that a lot of people don't want her to be sexualized, but can we not blame her? Can we not blame her? Everything matters. Everything that happened leads up to the conservatorship. Everything. So, pay attention. Yes, ma'am. So, a year later, in a different Rolling Stone article, she clarifies that she was playing a character, much like an actress in a TV show. Some of the media tried to spin this as Britney being a marketing mogul, but Dennis insists that, quote, this wasn't Britney being clever, it was her returning to a mode that was second nature disappearing into her bedroom to perform and become someone other than herself. She was playing dress-up, and she was the doll, end quote. I do agree that there must be some element of dressing up since we know that she loved to do that as a kid, so it makes sense, but at the same time, isn't it possible that she also understands her market, her target audience? After all, she was a teenage girl, and in her explanation of her choice for the Baby One More Time video, We see that she is being strategic in regard to who is watching her and how they will relate to her. Dennis argues that she understands this, but is not sexually aware. I mean, yeah, maybe not, but hopefully no 16 or 17-year-old is as sexually aware as a full-grown adult. Right? Weird. Dennis, you're weird. (laughs) I hope he never listens to this. What if he does? Well... 
Now he knows what we think. He's in... He's in the UK, so... You're weird, he, man. You're weird, man. He'll never find us. He can try, but... We live in a place that... We run most, real fast. Most people will never venture to. And it's not Kentwood. No. An anonymous source who worked with Brittany back then tells Dennis that she was, quote, not the most tasteful girl in the world, end quote, and she was also, quote, not very clued up about the business back then. It was all new, and she was so trusting, end quote. Yeah, of course, she was new, so she didn't understand how things worked. I mean, that's just a given, right? Remember Auntie Shonda from the first episode? She was a former aunt of Brittany's, now divorced from her uncle. Anyway, she told Dennis that Lynn was upset by the cover, that she, quote, felt proud but also embarrassed, end quote. So Lynn knew from the start that she had lost control. Not even lost control, that she never had control in the first place. Dennis continues the conversation about Brittany's sexualization, Quote, she was effectively being sold as part sexual commodity, part innocent schoolgirl, end quote. Furthermore, a sense of responsibility began to be pushed on her, and she was elevated to the status of teenage role model. Remember the therapist from the book, or like the psychologist? No, I think it was a therapist. They argue that Brittany is continuing the, quote, arc of the performer, born to make people happy, end quote, that began in her childhood. I wonder if that was... It's like the Britney song. Yeah, I wonder if that was pun intended. This therapist argues that she has derived value from making people happy since she was a child, quote, without realizing that her performing more than likely stems from a need to feel connected and in control, end quote. My issue with this is how did we know that she did not realize this? How did we know that she wasn't self-aware? This therapist how never... How are we supposed to know? Okay, I regret that title. <laughs> this therapist never gives Brittany the benefit of the doubt. She wants, it's like she thinks that she's got no brain in her head. She also writes that this is a quote, recipe for backlash in later life and a resentment at being molded, instructed, steered, and directed. End quote. Quote, she has no idea who she is outside of performing because that side to her character has never been allowed to develop. As a result, the human inside is so lonely and lost, the magnitude of the isolation within herself would become overwhelming in later years, end quote. Now that's very sad. It's very sad. Who knows how lonely she actually was, but I would assume that for every star that big, it does get extremely lonely and isolated, right? She also suggests that Brittany is very scared of life without performing, that she needs to perform, Otherwise, she will have terrifying anxiety. Well, she hasn't performed in years, and that was her choice. She's basically on strike. And she has reported that she is happier than she's been in, like, a decade. So, and she looks a lot happier. You know, therapist, you were wrong. Therapist is full of crap. Yeah, not all therapists are right all the time. Guys, actually, not a single ther not a single person on this planet is right all the time. I've met more bad therapists than good ones. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. This therapist needs therapy. She needs help. <laughs> she needs to shut the fuck up. Oh my god. <laughs> I appreciate her insight sometimes, but it's just a little fucking rude. Anyway, so Brittany returned home every six weeks. We'll talk about this a little bit more. 
where she slept in her mom's bed. So we can see that already she's, this isolation thing is getting to her. You know, she just wants to connect. All right, now I really don't want to talk about this, but we kind of have to because it's important to the story. We need to talk about this, otherwise we're doing a disservice to Brittany's story. Let's talk more about the sexualization of teenage Miss Spears. Let's start with the boob job. So Dennis interviewed people in Kentwood and the Mickey Mouse Club who all agreed that Brittany had gone from flat-chested to voluptuous. His word, not mine. She wanted to reverse the procedure, quote, when she realized that her new breasts restricted movement during dance routines, end quote. Brittany denied ever having breast implants. As Dennis notes in Heart to Heart, she actually conveys the message that young girls should love and accept their bodies the way that they are. In the 2008 article for Rolling Stone, The Tragedy of Britney Spears, journalist Vanessa Grigoriadis writes, quote, The first big blow to Britney's golden girl image was her breast implants. According to a source, she and Lynn had made the decision for her to get them, on the assumption that the culture demanded it, but the press leapt on her scornfully. A source, anonymous source, who apparently is a friend, says, quote, When Brittany saw the papers, she was crying in the bathtub uncontrollably, asking, Why is everyone being so mean to me? It was very hurtful for her to go through something so private publicly. End quote. So Vanessa writes that Brittany regretted the implants, particularly because her her boobs were still growing, right? She's a teenage girl, and when her natural chest became larger, she then had the implants removed. So that's the thing about the boobs. People were obsessed with her boobs. Obsessed. And I really mean that. They were always asking her about her boobs. There was that nasty interview where that guy said, everyone's talking about your breasts. And it's true. She even did an SNL skit on it. Because people wouldn't shut up. Is it true? Is it not true? I don't really care. And she was still 18? Yeah. She was, when this whole narrative was going on, she was 17 to 18. Maybe into when she was 19. But I think she had them removed, or at least reduced, around that time. And then it eventually stopped. Now, the virginity thing. This disgusts me. Again, I am sorry I have to talk about this, guys. But people were fucking obsessed with it. They moved on from the boobs, went on to this. Brittany always insisted, unfortunately, she should have never talked about, I don't know why they didn't tell her, like her team didn't tell her, just don't say anything. Mm -hmm. Because she said that she was saving herself for marriage, which was consistent with her Christian background. But, you know, the media would hound her about that for a pretty long time, even into her adulthood. It's just very strange. According to people in Kentwood, Brittany had lost her virginity before becoming famous. This would support the Reg Jones theory from, I think it was the Daily Mail that we talked about last episode. Being a virgin according to Dennis, sets an example for the girls, quote, while allowing the boys to fantasize about being Britney's first, end quote. Ew. 
one nasty-ass man tried to buy her virginity for $10 million. And Britney responded by saying that it was, quote, disgusting and he should go take a cold shower. (laughs) Good advice. People would ask her about her sexual preferences, if she was bisexual, if she had ever had sex with a woman, but she was so, she had such a wholesome image at first, and this was strategic, because then later on, the team would reinvent her to secure longevity, right? So instead of staying the same boring, wholesome person for years, she goes from wholesome to sexy, it has shock value, Mm. right? Although there were people around her and her team who wanted her to stay grounded to, like I said, return to Kentwood, give her a break, let her see her mom, there were others who of course wanted to push her even further. Quote, even though she had a squeaky clean image, things changed backstage. There were all these slick businessmen for Britney who let seedy business people come around, offering her drinks and drugs, and she thought it was fun. End quote. This is from an anonymous source again who says they're a friend. Not sure if it's true. Also, this was 2008, so... This is at a time when people are very unsympathetic to Britney. They hate her. They want to tear her down. I don't know if they hate her, but that's... A lot of people did. I remember someone said they wanted to shoot her in the head. That was before 2008, but... It was the wife of a governor. Maybe not in the head, but just in general, shoot. What the hell? We'll get there when we get there. Okay. The friend, not sure if it's actually a friend, also said, quote, if Britney wanted to party to blow off stress, that's what her team wanted her to do, end quote. So apparently they were, in the very beginning of her career, they allowed her to party and do drugs and drink so that she wouldn't want to go back home, so that she could just escape everything during her shows, during her tours. According to Vanessa... Britney's savior was Justin. I have to laugh. Ha ha ha. She actually began dating Justin around 1999, but her management told her to keep it on the down low and to tell everyone that they were abstinent and saving themselves for marriage. Now, this is really disgusting. Her choreographer from her first album, a man named Henson, said that one time Justin ran up to him and said, quote, dude, smell my fingers, end quote. That's real mature. Justin slept with her that night. They didn't actually confirm their relationship publicly for another year after this incident. Vanessa continues to say that Brittany was, quote, the one who was always lobbying to appear sluttier, which she thought would make her appear more mature, end quote. Okay, Vanessa, why do you have to say it like that? That's kind of weird. Sluttier. Good, interesting, interesting word choice. Now, this is really weird, and I, again, don't know if it's true because it's an anonymous source, but apparently Jamie and Lynn, quote, let her walk around the house naked, end quote, beginning in her childhood. And there's no mention of when this stops, which is concerning, to say the least. Why, I mean, it kind of implies that a teenage Britney is walking around her house naked. I don't like that. That's strange. You never walk around the house naked? When your parents are home? No. When, I guess, so when her parents are home? Yeah. Oh. I mean, given what we know, it's yeah. a bit strange. I'm not saying it was nefarious. Hmm. It's just strange, and it doesn't teach her boundaries. 
The source also says, quote, every girl in America was wearing crop tops and booty shorts and Britney felt like she was being held back. She would joke about wanting to do videos topless. These middle-aged guys, her managers, were so intense about her not being sexual that they pushed her the other way. They tell her to put on a bra or that her lip gloss was too dark. They were literally picking out her panties for her. Ew. End quote. Yeah. It's just gross all around. Yeah. Like, they want her to be sexual, and then they don't want her to be sexual. Like, which is it? <laughs> I know. It's it's confusing, to say the least. Now, Darren Henson, the choreographer that I just quoted, told Vanessa, quote, Brittany would come off stage after performing in front of fifteen to 16,000 people and start crying because she thought she was terrible. The girl doesn't know who she is, end quote. I feel like this is true because in her Wango Tango set from 1999, there's a video of it on YouTube and you can hear her say that something like, I did horribly or something along those lines after she exits the stage. So the media is talking about her, they're tearing her apart and this is already affecting her in 99. Okay, let's talk about finances. Super exciting. Brittany had obviously started to earn millions and her family was extremely unprepared and overwhelmed by this. A source close to them remembers that, quote, Brittany's earnings took that family from zero to millions and it blew their minds. This is a family that had been bankrupt and all that money scared the crap out of them, end quote. So, in 1999, she appointed her uncle Reggie as her financial agent with power of attorney. He was the husband of her aunt Sandra, remember... She was very close with her aunt, Sandra. He was an executive at the Bank of Greensburg, which was a small bank in Louisiana. His job was to wisely invest her money, and he only charged a 1% administration fee. That is tiny compared to the usual fees of 15 to 20%. So in my opinion, he's someone who was not in it for the money, right? And that is refreshing to see. With her newfound fortune, she wanted her uncle to help her pay her parents back for their sacrifices. This is extremely common for people with a rags-to-riches story. She purchased a plot of land six miles out of Kentwood for $29,000 and began building a new home, which she would call Serenity. She specified in Heart to Heart that she was building this house for her mom with absolutely no mention of her father. So as soon as this giant-ass, expensive house would be transferred to Lynn, quote, Lynn would be tied to the bankruptcy and financial debt of her marriage, end quote. Because remember, Jamie is in debt. His daughter is making millions. She is a superstar at this point. Or maybe not a superstar, but a huge star at this point. And Jamie has declared bankruptcy. So he's still trying to get that figured out. If Lynn remained married to Jamie and took ownership of the house, Jamie would also be a sort of, like, owner in the eyes of the law, which means that his debtors would be able to claim the home. So Lynn claims that the only reason she divorced Jamie was because she had known the relationship was over for a long time. And we'll talk about her perspective and how she remembers the divorce in a minute. But is this true? Was the house the straw that broke the camel's back? Not blaming her for divorcing him, obviously, but she could be, again, 
hiding things, sort of changing the story a little bit. As Dennis writes, quote, we are therefore asked to believe that she awoke from her codependent, submissive state at the same time that Brittany intended to build a mansion in the woods, end quote. A court agreed to free Lynn of all the debt that Jamie had accrued throughout their marriage, and Brittany bought Fee and her mom a new car and then completely wiped Jamie's debt while allowing him to keep the family home. So she's definitely paying them back in a big way. Now this is an interesting little tidbit. The divorce papers state that Jamie and Lynn were married in Louisiana, which does not match up with what Lynn wrote in her book that she eloped in New York State. So this is sort of maybe the beginning of Jamie and Lynn rewriting history in court. It's not beneath them, people. It's really not. If you think that Jamie is an honest person who will always tell the truth and never wants to save face, you're wrong. You're totally wrong. This is such a little minute thing. And for some reason, they lied about it. So weird. So why wouldn't they lie about other shit? And through the storm, Lynn writes that at some point, she, quote, unchose Jamie Spears, end quote. Writing that, quote, my union with Jamie came apart slowly in sad little pieces, end quote. She describes more of the verbal abuse. It's horrible. I hate it. Everyone hates it. Everyone hates Jamie. Everyone hates Jamie. Everyone. But it was actually Brittany who, according to Lynn, finally gave her the courage to leave Jamie. No, it wasn't Brittany's newfound fame that was the tipping point. And in fact, Lynn, quote, had already made up my mind to divorce Jamie, end quote, long before Brittany's success. In early 2000, like very early, Brittany sat Lynn down and said, quote, Mama, do you want to live like this for the rest of your life? End quote. And Lynn finally put her foot down, according to Lynn. <laughs> this makes me sad because now Brittany is the one who was caught in the nightmare that she helped her mom get out of. She's the one who was living with this horrible man, dictating everything she does, abusing her financially and verbally and allegedly even in a sexual manner when you consider the IUD. Just like he did to her mom, pretty much. Exactly. And now her mom isn't helping her. Now her mom's helping her, no, but she, she wasn't doing shit before. Yeah. It's a little late. It's a little late. Better late than never, I guess. Lynn goes on to say, quote, She also knew that years and years of verbal abuse, abandonment, erratic behavior, and his simply not being there for me had taken their toll, end quote. So that's Jamie in a nutshell. Why would you let this man take over your daughter's life, you absolute fool? That's all Jamie. I have to say. Well, it's not all I have to say, but that's <laughs> what I have to say. And we got another poem. I think this is actually an extension of a poem that I previously read. All right, are you ready? Yeah. Every time I look at you, I see bittersweet memories of you and me. Precious moments that we shared from the start. The sad emptiness that pulled us apart. My heart was broken. I built my wall. I'm happy here. Once 
and for all. And that's Lynn's poem? Yes. How was my dramatic reading? Very beautiful. Thank you. Could be more dramatic. So Lynn, about her divorce, also notes that she hasn't been remarried or even been on a date because, quote, I am so busy with my children, especially Jamie Lynn, end quote. Now, this was published close to when Jamie Lynn had given birth, but also, what about Brittany? I mean, she is writing this book as Brittany is in desperate need of her mother. Like, the conservatorship is in its very early days at this point. And Lynn is just writing this stupid fucking book. Now, this is sad. I'm pretty sure around the time that Lynn got divorced, or at least in the same year, Sandra was diagnosed with a very with ovarian cancer. Remember, this woman has been described as Britney's second mother and her true rock. Sandra went into remission a year later, but unfortunately, the cancer came back. If Sandra, Sandra, hadn't passed away, would Britney have gone down the same path? Could she have given Lynn better advice? Could she have helped to stop the conservatorship when it was just an idea? Could Sandra have managed to steer Brittany in the right direction when no one else in her family could get in touch with her? Not saying that her family should have had access to her, but Sandra seems different. She meant a lot to Brittany. And I wish, for Brittany's sake, that she had been around. In the episode for 2007-2008, we'll talk about this. We'll talk about how devastating Sandra's death was for Brittany. But I just want to, I just wanted to say that for now. All right, so that is basically all the heavy shit. And I'm so tired of having depressing episodes. Now, this era for Britney was a huge success. Let's talk about it and end on a fun note instead of our usual depression and anger. Okay? Okay. VMAs. We all know she's the queen of VMAs. She's the queen of the VMAs. 1999 was her VMAs debut. She is a VMAs icon, but a lot of people who are our age or younger don't realize that she has more performances than the Snake and the Gimme More performance from 2007. So she performed Baby One More Time here. It's really, really cute. Her tan is like way too much. We'll post this on our Instagram for sure. She also performed a medley of her first album at the Grammys in 2000. This is not exactly my favorite performance of hers. It's kind of awkward. It's still really cute and endearing, but it just really wasn't her scene. In 2015, Grammy producer Ken Elric even said that in his 35 years of producing the show, Britney's was one of the most disappointing. Quote, I thought it was a mistake, end quote. Oh no. Well, you're a mistake, Ken. But also, I kind of agree. But you're right. I'm not saying it's the worst performance ever. It's just, she's not a Grammys girl. She's a VMAs girl, okay? Who cares about the Grammys anyway? They're boring, right? Mm -hmm. They're boring. Yep, Grammys are And racist. Exactly. There were so many performances all over the globe. I mean, we are talking totally international, and for a lot of them, she's still singing live in 1999 and 2000, so the dancing is sort of minimal. 
She also has a lot of great outfits and red carpet moments during this era. They're the epitome of the 90s. So, again, we will post these outfits and red carpet moments on our Instagram or our website. Definitely check it out. Maybe one day we'll do a deep dive on these performances, but it's just too much for one episode. Believe me, all I want to talk about is her amazing, great, high moments. Unfortunately, that is not what we are here for. She also did many interviews during this era. As I said, someday she would have wall-to-wall interviews, morning to night. She often talks about how people and her fans are really sweet, how things are really cool. Those are some of her, like, catchphrases, I guess. And also, sadly, like we discussed, how people's obsession with her sexuality or virginity makes her uncomfortable. She often will say how blessed she is and thanks God, and stuff like that. She describes her childhood, interestingly, as wonderful and never brings up any of the issues that she has going on at home. Again, we do not have time to dissect every interview that she did in this year, so we'll post some standouts on our Instagram and our website. In her first interview with Rosie O'Donnell, however, who I am not the biggest fan of, but anyway, Rosie tells her, quote, Well, you're a level-headed young girl, and I hope you stay that way. And I think you will. Stay in Louisiana. It's a very nice place, and it will keep you grounded. End quote. That's a bit foreshadowy, but... Mm -hmm. And sadly, neither Dennis nor Lynn discuss her first tour. Which, well, actually, I guess it's her second tour if you're counting the promo tour for Baby One More Time. It's a really cute tour, and it was it the most spectacular out of all her tours? Was it the most technical, or did it have the best costumes? No, but it's super cute. It was called the Baby One More Time Tour, and was her debut concert tour, of course. She toured the U.S. and Canada from June 99 to April 2000. Tommy Hilfiger sponsored the first leg of the tour, and she wore, obviously, Tommy outfits for all the shows in the beginning and like this white and pink spacey looking outfit. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's just very late 90s, early 2000s with the pigtails. The tour was then extended in December of 99 into the Crazy 2K tour, which is sponsored by Got Milk and Polaroid. She's pulling in the big guns. Brittany apparently designed, or at least helped to design, the concepts and costumes. The difference in staging from the Baby One More Time tour and the Crazy 2K leg of the tour are absolutely insane. I mean, it goes from really amateurish looking, but still cute, but you know, kind of small, to superstar in the making. I mean... We're going to post some videos and you guys will be able to see how much had changed between these two legs and how much she had grown into this worldwide phenomenon. During the Crazy 2K leg, she began to promote her songs from her unreleased second studio album. Oops, I did it again. Of course, the tour included lots of dancing, standard Britney tour, the meme of the one where Britney is like, smiling, you know, she's like, she's on the stairs, and then she turns around. Yeah, I know that one, I know that one. (laughs) Yes, that is from Crazy 2K Show in Hawaii. 
Fun fact of the day, Destiny's Child opened for her for that show. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love this tour. It is so cute, very simple, but effective. Especially the show in Hawaii. She looks amazing, and we know she loves Hawaii. So I'm glad that we ended this on sort of a happy note. Unless you want to discuss anything else that will make us depressed and angry again. No, I do not. That's fantastic. I'm just going to think about that Britney meme. The smiling one? Oh, it's adorable. Anyway. Anyway, free Britney. Hashtag free Britney. And... Don't forget to follow our Instagram and check out our website. And of course, go stream Baby One More Time. Come on, do it. I know you want to. I know you want to. Listen to our favorite songs. Listen to them. Listen They're to good. all good They're fucking good. And if you don't like it on the first try, do it again. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow us on Instagram at Spiritual Awakening. That's S P E. A-R-I-T-U-A-L and check out our website at spiritualawakening.wixsite.com slash podcast for all of our sources, Brittany updates, and more. See you next time and may the Holy Spirit guide you.